Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Well, good morning, Connect Church. We're super glad that you guys are here this morning. Uh, Pastor Anthony, along with a large group of our volunteers, are going down, and they are already there at Laguna Beach Christian Retreat, getting everything ready for camp, okay? That's a big deal for us in the life of our church. You are sitting currently at a church, right, with a group of people that was started at Laguna Beach Christian Retreat at beach camp, okay? Uh, listen, they stood in the waters uh, there at Laguna Beach, and, and you know the story. We shared a little bit of it last week, that it was in that water where I'm just telling you, Lord has a beach house, and he just he meets us there, that they said, hey, what about a church in Sevier County? Don't they have enough churches in Sevier? I don't know. Maybe, maybe we should do this. And the Lord birthed something right there in the hearts of Pastor Anthony, Miss Aaron, Pastor Zach, that is where we're at today. And man, I'm telling you, uh, the Lord saved me and called me into ministry at beach camp. And different years, the Lord, Lord did that in my life. And man, be praying for our students. And we'll, we'll mention that here at the end. But be praying for our students because this for their lives is going to be huge. Many of our students are going to be saved. And some of them, the Lord may very well call them into ministry. So they're up there right now getting everything prepped uh, and getting everything ready. All the food bought. Our team is well-oiled machine. They will do things well for camp. And so uh, you got me this morning. Now here, here's one of the things, okay? Here's one of the things. Last week, Pastor Anthony got the awesome pleasure of standing up here and, and announcing, we got land, and it was awesome. We celebrated, and we, it was great, and I got to bring out the check. I don't know if you saw my part. I got to bring out the check, and uh, it was a big deal, and, and we were so excited, and it was awesome, and we may even have better news today, and that is this. We are going to go through an entire chapter of the book of John today, okay? Uh, we're going to get through one whole chapter debt-free today, and so we are going to go through, um, I mean, uh, Anthony called me last week, and he said, hey man, can you go through uh, and, and preach for me on John? I said, yeah man, what passage, what little, what few verses do you want me to go through? He goes, all like 53 verses of chapter 7. I went, okay, perfect. Um, uh, if you hear booing, that's what that is, um, is the people revolting against it. And so uh, this morning we're going to be in John chapter 7 as we continue our series through the book of John, okay? John chapter 7. Now if, you, if you're familiar with the book of John, you're going to look at this chapter and go, this is between I'm the bread of life, right? And it's between that and I'm the light of the world. Some major statements. And you'd look at this and go, this is just a setup piece for that, and that is not the case in Scripture. They're not just alley-oops from the writers to slam dunk another thing, and this is insignificant. This is a very important uh, chapter in the life and the ministry of Jesus and what John is trying to accomplish and communicate so that we may believe in the Lord Jesus. So I want us to make sure that we, we listen, we hear this this morning. Now, this gives us a unique setting of when this is and when this takes place. It is at the Feast of Booths, or Tabernacle. The Feast of Booth was uh, the seventh and last feast of the seven feasts that God had commanded of His people to observe. Normally, it takes place in the latter part of September to mid-October. It was a pilgrimage feast, meaning this, that the, the Jewish men would go to Jerusalem. The streets of this setting here would have been flooded with thousands and thousands of people coming to town to celebrate what? The, the provision 
in the liberation of God's people from bondage and captivity and what he did for them in the wilderness after leaving Egypt. How he provided for them. They would come to town and they would, uh, many of them would live in these makeshift tents and booths and they would live in these structures as a reminder and as part of the celebration. As they were in the wilderness having to travel around all over the place, they did not have consistent housing. It would have had to have been set up and torn down. During the Feast of Booths, you see a lot of things happen in the life of God's people that happened around this time that would set up this setting to be one for the ages, one that was hugely important in the life of Jesus. One, Solomon's temple was dedicated during the Feast of Booths. It was a week-long celebration feast. And Solomon's temple, back in the Old Testament, that was celebrated, that was, that was dedicated on that day. It was celebrated when all the children of Israel returned to rebuild the temple with Joshua and Zerubbabel. During this time, the Jews heard from Ezra reading the Word of God. His preaching, it led to the repentance and revival of God's people. Man, this is a time where they would look back and see the Lord do some incredible things. There are even some. Now, you and I come up with, uh, the, 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 the Roman church helped us out uh, with given December 25th when we would celebrate Jesus' birthday, right? Um, we don't know when Jesus was born. December 25th is when we celebrate that. There are even some who believe there are some who believe, now look, it doesn't say this in the scriptures, but based on context, and so look, scripture over there, that this could quite possibly have been the time that Jesus was born during this week. And that's why John uses the language of, uh, that he put on flesh and made his dwelling or his tabernacle among us. Whether that's the case or not, this is a big week. It's a huge week in the life of God's people. And thousands of people are going to Jerusalem to celebrate this and to be reminded how God supernaturally through the leading of a cloud or a pillar of fire and water from a rock and, and manna and quail from heaven, God provided and God provided. He destroyed enemies and he made a way for his people in his promises to live and to thrive. So that's the setting to where we're at. And here's one of the things that's so important. This is a changing point for Jesus' ministry. No longer is he this cool prophet who's doing some, you know, the occasional miracle, right? Where he's healing the man in Bethesda and he's by the, the pool there or feeding the 5,000 or, or the, the wedding feast and turning water into wine, which was awesome. The frat guys loved that one and they thought that was great and it was awesome. No longer is he just the popular prophet. He is now transitioning. You're going to see chapter 7 is huge for him transitioning into public enemy number one. He is now taking that step to where no longer is it, hey, I, I like you. Teaching's kind of weird, but like I get it. They are, we want you dead. And we're going to kill you in any way that we can possibly figure out how to do so. It's changing for Jesus. And that is the scene, the setting to where we're at here in chapter 7. We see this in, in John 7, 1. It says this, After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go into Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Here's what you're going to find. When it comes to Jesus, nobody's neutral. 
even if they say they're neutral or indifferent, they are not. You cannot be a person and be indifferent or neutral when it comes to Jesus and what he says and how he operated and what he claimed to be. Me and my family, we got to go to the ark this past weekend, okay? Got to go to the ark, awesome. My mom had no idea it existed. Um, asked my mom about it. I said, Mom, we're going to the Ark Encounter in Kentucky. She said, what does that mean? I went, you've never heard of this? And she went, no. And then I went, hmm. Just curious. Where is the story of the Ark in the Bible? I do this to my mom all the time. She's like, no. I don't, uh, probably Old Testament. I was like, good, good start. Um, if you don't know what the Ark Encounter is, you better get ready for just, I don't know, anything about the ark. Uh, do you know anything? What was it made of? She went, wood. I went, good, good. And I said, what book of the Bible is it in? She went, oh, and I could hear her groaning, going, still Old Testament. Yep, hadn't moved. Um, hadn't moved. Um, Noah was in it. That's right. And I knew it. Book of Noah? No, no, no. And I said, it's one of the first five books of the Bible. And I might as well have just said, can you speak another language fluently? Because she went, first five. First. Give me a hint. Give me a hint. And I was like, I, at this point, I don't think the hint will help. Right? And so I, 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 I put her on speakerphone. I said, kids, what's the first five books of the Bible? And my kids went, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And mom was like, I'm pretty sure she was like, I've not heard of some of those. And so, and so we, we go through to the Ark Encounter. You know what I loved about the Ark Encounter? It's this, even there, and through all the signs, and listen, we did not read any of the signs. We had four children with, we read nothing. We read nothing. But we have, uh, someone was gracious enough to let us borrow the Ark Book of Signs because they know who their, uh, their people are, their audience is. We, and so we got home and then read through the book of uh, all the signs and placards and it was incredible. Even then, you could see there are people who are against Jesus and those who are for Jesus. There is no one neutral and we see that on full display in today's text. We see a lot of different characters throughout this. We're going we're gonna to be introduced to some characters. We're going to see some characters. And each of them have an opinion, or each of them have uh, a different thought, or, or, or each of them go, hey, I, I think Jesus is this, or I, I think Jesus is that. And we're going to see all of those today. And so uh, the first characters we see are Jesus' brothers. In John 7, 3 through 8, it says this, So his, yes, Jesus had brothers. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret. If he seeks to be known openly, if you do, if you do these things, show, show yourself to the world. They go, hey, listen, Jesus, if, you're, hey, if you are who you say you are, if you're doing all these cool things, why don't you go in front of everybody and do it? And you know how I know that's the tone of it? It says this in verse 5, For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about its works, and they are evil. Jesus is saying this, Brothers, you may not believe me, and here's the deal. You can go and do whatever you want. Why? Because people don't hate you. Because the message that you preach or the lives that you live are not offensive to those who don't love me or don't follow me. 
My message, as you saw even uh, a couple weeks ago with eat my body and drink my blood, he's, and, and many disciples heard it and turned away. He said, what I say is offensive to those who are not redeemed. You don't say that, so you can go live however you want. Everybody loves you. But for me, I cannot do this. Verse 8 says, you go up to the feast. I'm not going up to the feast, for my time has not yet come. And here's the deal. His brothers were there, and they, his brothers, I would dare say, did not have the sweetest tone with their big brother, Jesus. How do I know that? Because i got two of them, okay? I've got two brothers. Long ago, before he's Pastor Anthony and Pastor Chris, we had an Anthony and a Beeper, okay? That's what we had. That's what their names were, their birth names, okay? Uh, before you guys gave them these other names. And so, uh, I, I remember, it was in 2009, uh, I was just on the verge of, of having brain surgery. We were having um, I had a, a brain tumor in my brain, and, and so we had to have brain, I had to have brain surgery, and so we had this big family vacation to kind of uh, do that. It was a big time, Michael Jackson died. That was rough. I'll remember that forever. Um, I remember that was the first time on, by happenstance, and one day we'll make a movie. I met my wife, um, who would one day be my wife on accident, just passing through uh, the nothingness of Alabama. Met my wife, and so it was a big time for me. But I remember vividly uh, going to this condo that my future father-in-law owned, and, and so we went to Orange Beach, Alabama, and we went into this condo, and what? here's what I know. Remember, he was not pastor anything at the time. They couldn't have dogs in this condo. You know what's weird, though? We had two, and I thought it was very strange that somehow these two dogs got into a condo that you're not allowed to have dogs at, but wasn't going to question him because he'd hurt me, okay? Remember, Anthony, not Pastor Anthony. He would, he would hurt me, so I didn't do that. But here's the deal. When me and my brothers get together, even to this day, Things change, okay? Things we want to stay, say in staff meetings come out that we can't say. The jokes, that, you know, like the jokes that I love to make come out, and it's fun, and we have fun together, but we're also brothers. I remember vividly my brother looking at me, and with these dogs in this thing, they couldn't bark, so of course they had these bark collars, right? And they said, just like they did with Jesus, bet you won't, bet you won't put that bark collar on your neck and bark as loud as you can. Well, I'm sitting there 17 years old about to have brain surgery for something that could end my life. And I go, <laughs> watch this. Then I say, I bet I will. And I remember uh, your pastor sitting there looking at me like this. Uh, and our other brother, he's sitting there going, <laughs> watching. Mom, of course, not in the room because she wouldn't allow it. And I remember going, <clears throat> <laughs> and nothing happens. Like, oh, this thing don't even work. He's like, really let it go. And so I put that thing up into my aorta or whatever is here. And I went, <laughs> and, I, and I'm telling you, I, when I came to, <laughs> it was awful. Um, uh, I thought, well, I'll never speak again. Um, this was terrible. Listen, brothers have an effect on you, okay? They just go, you want, like anybody else come up to me and go, barking to a bark collar, and I'm like, you're, you're an idiot. No. My brother's doing, I'm like, watch this. And we just got to one-up each other. Uh, my other brother, Chris, did it, and it hurt him, and he threw it, and it hit me in the mouth. Like, it was an awful time in my life. 
But I understand the, the role brothers have. So Jesus, even in his own family, he's not one who celebrated this great prophet and, and preacher uh, and, and is not seen as the Messiah that he is, the very Son of God. He is seen as this nuisance of, oh, really, brother? If you think that, why don't you go up? I double-dog dare you to go up there. I bet there was a double-dog dare mentioned somewhere in this speech. Why don't you go up there and show everybody? Take your disciples. Go show everybody if you want to do this thing in, in the open. And Jesus tells his brother, it's not my time yet. So his brothers had an issue. Not only that, we see the Jews had uh, lots to say about Jesus. And, and in John chapter 7, verse 12 through 13, it says this, And there was much muttering about him among the people, while some said, He is a good man. Others said, No, he is leading people astray. Yet for the fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly about him. John seven fourteen through 15 says this, About the middle of the feast... Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. And the Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? They're, they're seeing something from Jesus going, Man, maybe he fed me at the, uh, the feeding of fat, maybe fed me, or you know, I saw this. But his teaching, there's something about it that is unbelievable for who he is and not being going through the schooling that he's gone through. And so you have some people doing this, some people just standing back going, Nope. Stay away. He's going to lead you astray. Man, he's going to lead you astray. And some people go, no, I think he's a good man. I, th I mean, I don't know much about him, but I think he's a good dude. You have others. Uh, Jesus would sit there in, uh, in the temple, and he would, he would teach. And remember, it's the, the Feast of Booths or, or Tabernacles. So Jesus used a lot of uh, uh, teachings about Moses. And he would go, guys, listen, the authority I have has been given to me by God, and he has sent me here. I'm not just some dude looking for glory for myself, but rather I come preaching and telling you what the Father's told me to come do. He says, and you get on to me and you want to kill me because I do one miracle. I heal a guy on the Sabbath there at Bethesda, and you're mad at me. But didn't Moses, and he said, who gave us circumcision, which was Abraham, but he was, he was explaining it. He said, but didn't Moses, give, who told us about circumcision, tell us we can even do that on the Sabbath. And you know what circumcision does? It hurts. And he says, and he tells you to do that on the Sabbath, and that's okay, but for me to make somebody well, completely and fully well, it's not okay. They say this. Uh, and he, and he, goes, he goes, and, and for that you want to kill me. And the crowd goes, you have a demon in you, verse 20. Who is seeking to kill you? Question mark. He goes, he's listening to him going, like, what do you mean somebody's trying to kill you? You're probably just demon-possessed or there's a demon around you. Listen to all the different things. He's a good man, bad teacher, maybe demon-possessed. Who knows? They continue in John 7, 25 through 27, it says this. Uh, Some of the people in Jerusalem therefore said, is not this the man who the Jews are seeking to kill? And here he is, speaking openly. And they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? Could, I mean, if he's doing all this and nobody's stopping him, is he really the promised one? But we know, and then one, I, I just feel like this one guy goes, I, but we know that this man, uh, where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, nobody will know where he comes from, which is not true. But that one dude who goes up and read an article on Facebook, like, I'll tell you right now, when he shows up, you'll have no idea where he's from. And then what happens? Just a couple verses later, it says, I, I know him, for I'm from here. This is Jesus saying this. He sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come, which I just think is one of the coolest things that people are just going to walk up and arrest Jesus, and there's just something about him, and they're like, nah, you're good. You can just keep going. He's like, thank you. 
my time is not yet <clears throat> come. And he said, yet many people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man? So you have all these different things. He, he's got a demon. Uh, I, I don't believe him, little br uh, big brother. We don't believe you. Uh, he's a good man. He's a bad man. He's got a demon. We want to kill him. Some say, man, there's something about this dude. I mean, you think the Messiah's going to come and do things more than this guy? I mean, this guy's got a great resume. Verses 40 through 42 say this. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. And you go, well, that's good. They would look at him and go, man, this guy really is Elijah. This guy really is a, a good prophet coming from God to tell us what to do and to communicate from God. And they'd say, he's a good prophet. But then there were some. It says, others said in verse 41, this is the Christ. Then right after that, but some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village that David sent out? And we're going, yes, that's what he did. He came there. So people were asking questions. They were muttering. Some of them just outright didn't believe. Some were still asking questions and go, man, he's from Galilee. How does this happen? If he's, uh, we know the prophecies from Galilee. Oh, he's from Bethlehem? Well, that's a game changer. And, and you have all these different people who have all these different opinions and all these different sides of what they believe about Jesus. The next characters are the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were not happy. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent out officers to arrest him. Now, I love what the officers come back and report in verse 45 through 52. It says this, The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees, who said to them, Why did you not bring him? You had like one job. Why did you not bring him? The officer said, No one has ever spoke like this man. And I just love, I just picture like if this was a cartoon, the chief priests and Pharisees, they're just like, their head's getting really red, there's smoke coming out of their ears, and the, chief, and, the, and, the, and the guards who are supposed to arrest Jesus are like, we went to go get him. One, we couldn't even touch him. And then two, what he said was like, like no one's ever spoken like this. There's something different about Jesus. And the Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities... Or, or the Pharisees believed in him. They're, I mean, they're freaking out. They're going, man, if they believe, have any of the other people who we're supposed to be in charge of believed in this man? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed, is what they say. And then who's there in verse 50? But Nicodemus from Nick at, Nick at night, who said, uh, who had gone before him and talked to him, he said, uh, he says this to him, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And like the Pharisees or any politician in America today, they were like, no, no. We can condemn immediately for whatever reason. And we don't like Jesus. And they replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. They are getting frustrated and the anger from them. They're going, no, no, not only do we not believe, we are hostile against Jesus. It's way different than like feeding a whole bunch of people fish and bread and everybody eating together and having a good meal. This is different than celebration. This is where it begins to turn for Jesus. Where now the wheels are turning. And the thoughts are going, how can we get rid of him? 
And church, it's not, uh, it's not much different than it is today. See, there is no neutral person when it comes to Jesus. When we got to go through the ark, the one signs I got to see in real life uh, after paying $4 million to walk through the ark and, and do it, it was actually at the Creation Museum. Hey, good tip, go to the Creation Museum first, then the ark, because when you flip it, Creation Museum, hey, listen, a lot of people like it. Kind of bummed, okay? Uh, also not in the shape of a boat. And so uh, when you go see a giant ark and then you just go to another building, it was difficult, but I loved it. It was awesome, loved this. I saw this. I saw this. When it compared a biblical worldview to a humanist worldview, it talked about what happens when I die. Stephen Hawking says this, I regard the brain as a computer which will stop working when its components fail. There is no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That is a fairy tale story for people who are afraid of the dark. William Provine says this, there, is, there are no gods, no purposes, and no goal-directed forces of any kind. There is no life after death. When I die, I, ap I am absolutely certain that I am going to be dead. Probably great dude to have at your party. Richard Dawkins would say this, the universe we observe has precisely the, pro the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitless indifference. And then everybody's favorite scientist, Bill Nye, says this, the earth is just a speck of sand in the universe and there is no cavalry coming over, cavalry coming over the hill to rescue it. Church family, the tide is turning for Jesus. Anger is brewing. Some are believing. Some are believing. Few are believing. And many are getting upset. In the coming weeks, we're going to see this grow and grow and grow. But now, we see this. We see dozens of questions in just this one chapter. Dozens of questions and thoughts of who Jesus is and what he's going to do and who, where he comes from. And nobody is neutral. It is an impossibility when it comes to Jesus. He is the most polarizing figure in all of history, and he should be. He's God. Even today, even today, it is not like Jesus is accepted everywhere. We are un uh, Jesus and his name is under attack. His word is under attack. Unlike any other group in society today, believers are under attack why? Because of Jesus. We, we are becoming a minority, and we are becoming hated, and we are becoming disliked, and everything we say is rough today. It happens. I want to tell you about that person who you, uh, maybe you're that person here today who says, I'm, uh, I'm just neutral with Jesus. I think he's a good dude, good teacher. The bread thing was awesome. Thought that was great. Healing people, you know what, that's a good work. But my king and master and, and submit my life to him, I'm not there yet. I'm kind of neutral. Let me tell you something. You are either with Jesus or you are not with Jesus. There is no middle ground where you stand before the king of kings and lord of lords uh, in death, where there is something after death. And you stand before the king, kings, and the lord, and lords and go, listen, I didn't hate you, but I just wasn't with you. He will say, depart from me. 
you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. There is no neutral when it comes to Jesus. And it's really hard for us to grasp that because we're in 2023 when we see everything that's going on in the world. We see everything. The news, sports, we see everything. And we go, well, I'm not going to take it on, right? I'm not going to diss it. I'm just going to kind of stay silent and stay to myself. It cannot be when it comes to our walk with Jesus. There is no neutral party. Believers, oftentimes this is a default position for us. The message of the gospel is offensive. It is unbelievably offensive to those who do not follow Jesus. At one point, it was offensive to our very flesh. And then he saved us. Just because the message of the gospel is offensive does not mean that we need to shut up about the gospel. We must proclaim it. Because who cares if we, def- if we offend sin? It's been defeated and it's got somebody that we love or somebody we work with. Who cares if we offend it? We must care for people. We cannot be neutral in our lives this week. Listen, when we give our lives to Jesus, believers, and we say yes to him, we said, yes, you're you're my king, you're my master, but when it comes to the things you stand for, I'm just going to stay over here. I'm not going to endorse the other guy, but I'm going to be right here. Because listen, what do you mean go and make disciples? That's Pastor Anthony's job. They just hired Kyle for that. I mean, I don't have to do that. I'm going to kind of stay right here. What, seek and live in holiness? And be separate from the world? Now, listen, I'm not going to go sleep around. I'm not going to go, I'm not going to get drunk on the weekends, but I'm just going to kind of stay right here, right? Just kind of this neutral place where I'm not sinning, but I'm not necessarily doing what you called me to. Follower of Jesus, listen to me. That is a lie from the enemy. To say as a believer that you are neutral does not mean that you are just not going to be a detriment to the kingdom. To say you are neutral means that you are saying, I'm a detriment to the kingdom. You are halting the advancement of God's kingdom and the things that God wants to do in your life by saying, I mean, but that's so much. Yes. Yes. To follow Jesus, believer. It's to not be what Jesus' brothers were at this time. Where the world didn't hate them, they could go out and live in public and never offend anyone. Jesus would say, if you follow me, your life will be offensive to darkness. And so you must do it if you're going to follow after me. Believers, the message we preach is offensive. But why? Because it's not about, hey, you just choose for yourself what is right. The message to follow Jesus is to deny yourself and give everything you have to him and to do what he says, not so that he loves you more, but out of the overflow of your love for him, you say, I'm going to walk in obedience. And then, and then, believer, not only does it affect that, we love his word, we love his message, we walk in the way that Jesus walked, We do what he says to do. We run and we hate and we kill sin and we love holiness. 
We love people. We preach the gospel. We cannot be neutral. Pastor Zach's going to come and make his way up here. Listen to me. If we, if we continue on this path, we're about to go to camp. This is our camp shirt. I just pulled it out of a box. It has a weird smell to it, so I won't get close. And uh, This is our camp shirt. Uh, at camp, we don't just do like themes. This, this is our theme, but it's not just everything's built around the theme. Uh, we're going to be walking through the entire book of Colossians. We're going to slow walk it, okay? Um, and then we, we, give, we have uh, quiet times that are designed to be by the beach, and then we give them something called Beyond the Beach, uh, which gives them 21 days of, of Bible studies just through the book of Colossians. And what we're going to teach our students and our students this week is that Jesus Christ is preeminent above everything. Do you want to know how to get out of this neutral lifestyle with Jesus where, yeah, you like him, you're not, you're not cheating on your wife, but, I mean, he's not your everything. What a waste of the Christian life that is. Rather, man, what if this week, what if today, that instead of being a, one of your many priorities, that Jesus today became the very paper in which you write your priorities down on, and you were to love Jesus today, what would it look like in your life? What would your job look like? What would your family look like? If in your marriage... It wasn't just you, you know, not, not being the best, not being the worst. Just kind of, No, but in your marriage, Jesus was preeminent in your marriage. And everything you had was for Jesus. What would it look like in your office life? What would it look like in parenting your children if Jesus was preeminent? Listen, what you believe about Jesus matters, believers. And it will show in the way that we live our lives daily. Stop trying to live this neutral life in your walk with Jesus. It's, it's a waste. And we will stand before Jesus one day and he's going to say, you got in here by the skin of your teeth. Neutral Christianity does not get a well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, but man, the, so many of the people who would have heard Jesus' teaching and, and, and then he would have died and rose again, many of them would give their lives for him. Even some of his brothers would now get serious about Jesus and it wouldn't just, they would be all in to following Jesus. And following Jesus is hard. That's why Jesus says, they don't hate you yet. But when, they, when you start following me, they're going to hate you. For some of you, it's going to lead to your death. For some of you, it's going to lead to a loss of promotion. For some of you, it's just going to be the world hates you. For some of you, the world, may, may, the world hating you looks like your very own flesh rising up against you with sinfulness and temptation and addiction like it never has because you're serious about Jesus and your own body with its sinful nature, nature and its, in its grasp of I know you gave your life to Jesus, but here's, just try this one more time. We'll come after you. Believers, this week, what does it look like for you not to be neutral but all in about Jesus? What does it look like? Does it change your morning? Does it change your, your, your conversations with your wife? Does it mean you delete Netflix and, and, and sell your TV? Does it mean that you change things around? Does it, does, does it mean that you, your job looks different? What does it look like for you? We're about to see it in the coming chapters. We're about to see it. 
To follow Jesus is not popular, and we all know that. We're about to try to teach your kids that. That's rough to try to teach a sixth grader that. But Jesus is preeminent. There is no other place for him. There is no other distinction from him. for him. That is it. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.